0: I want to take you to, to Titus, Titus uh, chapter two. And uh, this was in my notes last week, and I, I just didn't get to it, and I, I really want to and, and I'm glad, because I think this is a great opportunity to, for, to, to lay this out and to give us a vision as, as a church. We, we need to understand that every one of us have a responsibility to the next generation. every single one of us have a responsibility to the next generation. And we all have something to give to the next generation. Titus chapter 2, verse 1. And I just want to say that in chapter 1, he talks about the fact that there's there's issues with with doctrine. They're having doctrinal issues. And so in in Titus chapter 2, verse 1, he says, "'As for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine.'" speak the things that are proper for sound doctrine that the older men be sober reverent temperate sound in faith in love and in patience the older women likewise that they be reverent in behavior not slanderers not given to much wine teachers of good things that they may admonish the young women to live their to love their husbands to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers. There's a word that you don't hear in our culture today. I'm going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about that and what, what, what significance that has for us today. Uh, to, to be homemakers, good, obedient to their husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourselves to be a good pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that the one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing, else, nothing evil to say of you, exhort bond servants to be obedient to their, ma- to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. This passage is sandwiched with two statements about doctrine, the importance of good doctrine. Doctrine matters. Doctrine matters. Good doctrine matters. When we talk about doctrine, teaching, the teaching of the, the Word of God, the precepts, the concepts, the truths of Scripture, God's truth. God's truth. We, and we live in a culture where, uh, you know, of, of relativity, right, Postmodernism, and that there's no such thing as truth, but God's word is truth, and doctrine matters. What, what we believe matters. Uh, the word of God is established. Heaven and earth will pass away, but not one jot or tittle, not one, in other words, dotting of an I or a crossing of a T, not the littlest details of God's word are going to pass away. It, it, it's eternal the truth of God's word is eternal. It's relevant in every generation. Amen? God's word is true. And that, that that's where we stand as a church. We're, we're not given to cultural whims. We're not following the latest trends. The word of God is truth. It's life to us. It, it, it's wisdom. It's wise counsel. And it, it's, it's vital for us. Doctrine matters. And so it starts with these, it's it sandwiched, I should say, with, with these two um, scriptures about doctrine Titus chapter 2 verse 1 It begins he, s- he says that we should uh, speak the things which are, are, are proper for sound doctrine we, we need to teach and, and, and then he goes into this thing about the way that we're living our lives that young old, older men should live this way younger or, uh, older women should live this way the younger women should live this way uh, the younger men should live this way and he gives a reason and conclusion in verse 10 that, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. We, we need to teach sound doctrine. We need to teach the word of God so that we can live our lives in this way that through our living, through our good works, we would adorn that, that the doctrine of God would be evidence by the way that we live our lives. That's the compulsion of this passage of Scripture. Teach solid doctrine, teach people to live in this way, which is a godly way. And, and i get, getting way ahead of myself. We're not going to read this, but if you go on to read the chapter, it says that the grace of God appears to us, and it teaches us that if we live godly, righteously, or that, I'm sorry, that if we, if we deny ungodliness and worldly lust, we can live uh, godly and righteous in this present time. In, midst, in the midst of a dark age, we can live a righteous life if we deny ungodliness, if we deny worldliness. Amen. And there's a com- compelling of us to live in a way that adorns, that projects the doctrine of God. This is not about hairdos. This is not about dress codes. It, it, it's about conviction of heart. It's about belief in and value that is at our very core to the way, to the point that it, it causes us to live in a different way, to live lives that are godly, that are holy, that are righteous, not, not perfect, but striving towards perfection. None of us are perfect, but we're striving to live godly lives. That's the compulsion of this passage of Scripture. In fact, if you look at verses 7 and 8 of the passages that we read in Titus, Titus 2, 7 through 8, I'll read it in the New Living Translation. Listen to what, what it says. It says, you yourself must be an example to them by doing good works of every kind. Let everything you do reflect the integrity and the seriousness of your teaching. Teach the truth so that your teaching can't be criticized. Then those who oppose us will be ashamed and have nothing bad to say about us. That's the way that we ought to be living our lives. Right? So I, I believe this. I believe in this. There, there is a compulsion for all of us to live our lives as examples. Amen. I've said this over and over again. You know, people say, "Well, I don't want anybody following me. Uh, my life is not a life you want to follow." We we have to get rid of that kind of thinking as Christians. Amen. We we need to strive to live lives worth following. The Scripture is replete with uh, with with. Uh, Passage after passage that, that would compel us to be models in the way that we live our lives, to be examples. The scripture compels us to be examples to everybody who is watching. That's, that's the, the compulsion of the scripture, that we would live our lives in a, in a way, as, as followers of Jesus, in a way that others would want to follow us. Paul says himself says, follow me as I follow Christ. Every one of us ought to be living a life where we can say, follow me as I follow Jesus. Amen. And when we look at young people, they, I, I believe this, they, they need role models today. They, they need role models. I, I want us as a church, I, I, there's a statistic that I saw that, that in, the, in the, the metro area, Louisville Metro, there are 13 colleges that have no gospel witness. Think about that. No Christian organization, on 13 college campuses in this, this community, there are no Christian organizations reaching college students. Think about that. We need to send Christians to be models on our college campuses. We, we, I, I, as a pastor, in the time that I have to serve in this community, that's one thing that I wanna make a push to try to, to, to resolve, that we would send folks from our churches as missionaries to these college campuses. That, that should never be stated. You think about this, all, all of the Christian churches in Louisville, we have, we have seminaries. I think there are three seminaries in Louisville. Yet there are 13 college campuses without any Christian organization representing the gospel. Wow. Think about that. We've gotta change that. Most, most of us in this room don't, under, don't know this, but it, by law in the state of Indiana, we, there, there's something called the release time law. That if a student wants to get out of class, Once a week, the the school district must permit them to be released for religious studies. I I have friends in other counties in the state of Indiana, their their churches are running release time programs where they go into the school, they they bring the kids across the street to a a meeting hall or a church facility, and they spend, I think it's 45 minutes, by law, that the the school district is required. if, If they sign a waiver and their parents are on board, they have to release them for Christian education. Do you know that? That's the law in the state of Indiana. I want to see our church move to capitalize on that. We, we need, we have a crisis with this generation identity we can go through all the different things that, 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 that this generation is battling and what, what I'm convinced, what they need more than anything is they need Christian role models, Christian examples, men. How many men of God do we have in the building? Come on! I need to hear you. How many men of God? Give me a whoa! Give me a something. How many men of God do we have in the building? Amen. We ought to get offended when we hear those kind of statements. That there are 13 college campuses in our in our town where we live. There are 13 college campuses that have no gospel men. We ought to get upset about that. Amen. There there are kids. All these. I'm talking junior high, elementary, high school campus, and there are kids that don't have godly role models. We, we need to take that personally, men. Amen. And we need to rise up and take the, the, the role. And I'm going to get to women and just, I'm not, just, I'm not eliminating women here. I'm going to come to the women in just a minute. But men, we, we, we need to take charge of this situation. It's time for men to rise up. I, I appreciate, you know, uh, uh, Brother Bobby and Brother Alvin, they're, they're going in and, and picking up Uh, people and bringing them to church and they're being models to these men and women and I appreciate that we need more of that please we're gonna make initiative and charge towards that but we need men to be examples this passage of Scripture calls our men to be an example that, that the older men would be sober reverent temperate sound in the faith in love and in patience amen that's the call to us men of God that we would be sober. The word is vigilant. We need some vigilant men. We need some men that will stop staying at home, watching the live stream in their pajamas and drinking coffee, and get their family to the house of God. Amen. We need to get men that will stop being every third Sunday Christians and lead the charge to bring their families to the house of God. <laughs> we need men who will begin to lead their families in prager, vigil, prayer. And in bible study vigilant men faithful men diligent men sober men men who are reverent it says this means to be venerated for character honorable we need honorable venerable men to rise up in the church we need men it says who are temperate sound mind sane in one's senses. That's why we have a generation running around acting like fools is because we have neglected to stand up in our right minds and say, this is what God's word says. And as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. We're gonna live our lives according to God's word. Amen. Amen. Men who have not lost their mind will lead families who are sound, right? This word temperate means curbing one's own desires and impulses. Well, I want you to to use this pronoun because of my feelings. Baloney. That's a result of absent fathers is what that is, who have not laid their hands. I've laid my hands on my own sons. I have three growing teenage boys, and I've laid my hands on every one of them and declared them to be men, men of God. You're a man, and you're going to take the responsibility on your shoulders. You're going to do chores around the house. You're going to learn the responsibility of money. I've taught that to my boys. And listen, I'm going to tell you, every time I study these messages and get ready to come talk about raising the next generation, I see that I have fallen short in many ways, and I need to step my game up. So I'm not coming to you as some perfect dad. But I'm telling you, dads, we've got to get engaged in this game, because if we don't, we are going to lose our kids and our grandkids. We've got to get engaged in it. Amen? This is a challenge to us as a church So those are the characteristics, sober, reverent, temperate. And then it says we need to be sound in three areas. We need to be sound in faith, sound in love, and sound in patience. Sound in the faith. Are you sound? Dad, are are you acquainted enough with the scriptures to be doctrinally sound? Do you have a grasp on God's word so that you are sound in your faith? Are you sound in your prayer life? Are you sound in your walk with God? Men, this is what God is calling us to be, to be sound in faith, to be sound in love. The word there is, I think it's either agape or agapeo, right? We are all familiar with agape love, brotherly love, love feasts is is, is a meaning for for this word that's here, love feasts. Uh, fin, uh, not, not Finney, uh, Wesley was, was famous for his love feast. He had these big meals where the brotherhood would come together and, and walk in fellowship and love and build relationship, community. That's the picture. We need to be sound in love, amen? We need to be sound in patience. that steadfastness, constancy, endurance a man who has not swerved from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty to faith and piety even by the greatest trials and sufferings. Are we sound in our patience or are we easily moved? Does a little cough keep you at home on Sunday morning? Does a little hiccup cause you to lose your salvation and act like a fool or are we sound in our faith? in our steadfastness, in our, in our patience, in our constancy. Men, we, we need to be men. There are eyes watching us. There's a generation that's following us, and we, we need to set an example. So that's, that's the men. The older women. I don't, get, I don't want to call anybody an old lady in this place. I don't want to make I grew up better than that. I was taught better than that. So let's just stick with what the Bible says. The Bible says the older women likewise... That they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. That they may admonish the young women to, live, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their husbands. That the word of God may not be blasphemed. Now that's what we're teaching young ladies these days, right? No, we're we're teaching him all of this garbage. Go off to the university. And and listen, listen, I I don't discourage anybody from going to college, male or female. I don't discourage anybody from getting an education. I don't discourage women from from having vocations, having jobs. There's nothing wrong with that. But I I think the heart of what's being said here is missed in, in, in a lot of homes and a lot of families. Loving their children, loving their families, being homemakers... You talk about that, they call you some kind of a chauvinist. It's not. Listen, I've said this a couple times already in this series of messages, but there is an important, uh, a a huge importance that God puts on gender roles. And because we have backed away from teaching that in the church, we have gender confusion all over our society. Right? There there are roles for men to play in the home. There are roles for women to play. And we, we need to get back to that i I would not discourage any any woman from working out I, I I get that I wouldn't discourage any woman from going to get a college degree wonderful I think it's fantastic I, I stood here a couple of weeks ago and said my first job number one is to be a father to those kids In this season of my life, that's where it's at. Listen, I spent 36 hours Friday and Saturday driving my kids to Indianapolis, hanging out at a basketball tournament, hanging out with them all day, driving them all the way back home. I'm I'm putting priority on being with my kids and fathering those those young men and that young lady that God's given me. Moms, we need to do that as well. I I challenged men big time last week, right? In that role, to, to, to be their job number one, right? You don't have to have three jobs to pay bills. Quit a job and be home with your kids. I challenge our men that way. But women, we, we need to get this, this heart for our home. I remember growing up, my pastor talked about how, how the wife should should guide the home in love. Amen. That's a, a, a primary responsibility that we that, that women have in, in the home. And we need to get back to that. So I, I want to go, let's kind of look at this passage for just a second. Verse 3, it says the older women... In, in, he says, likewise, that, that word there is important. He says, all the things that I said about the men, likewise. Right? Be, be be vigilant, be of a sound mind. All the things that we talked about for the men, likewise. And then he adds more onto it. Right? Be reverent in behavior, not slanderers. And that, that word slander there means false accusers. And I don't think that necessarily women are false accusers more than men. There, I think there was, in, in, in that church, in the context of that church that he's writing to, there, there was an issue with women slandering. And why he specifically does it. But listen, I've been around the church for 25 years. Men and women both slander equally. What, what, what is slander? The, the word actually is diabolos. Did you know that? The word here for slander is the, is the same word for demon or devil. If you are a slanderer, if you've got somebody else's name in your mouth full of gossip, you're a devil. You're a Diablos. You are a slanderer. Get your mouth off people. Stop running people down. Stop badmouthing people. Stop picking their faults apart. Stop making lists of all the ways that they've, they've failed and faulted and rehearsing that with all your friends. That's called slander. That's what it's talking about here. He says stop doing it. Stop being, this word means to be prone to slander. It means opposing the cause of God. I think I picked on JR last week. Let me pick on him again. If I go to Scotty and I'm running JR down, you know what I'm doing? I am opposing God. You know why? Because he's a child of God, right? You know what I'm doing? If I slander JR, you know what I'm doing? I'm joining the party with the accuser of the brethren. He is Diablos. He is a slanderer. He is the accuser of the brethren. And anytime we take a brother's name in, in, in our mouth to defame them, to slander them, to sling mud, to make them to impugn their character, to ruin their reputation. Anytime that we do that, anytime we're speaking ill of somebody, we are in league with Diablos. I hate slander. You hear, you hear me preach about it a lot. I hate it with every fiber of my being. I don't want to be somebody who's running people down. I don't want to be around people who are running people down. Because if we're doing that, we're in party with the enemy. Slander is the act, uh, it is to act the part of the devil or to side with him. That's what this word diablos means. It means to be prone to defamatory statements, right? Guiding rule in church life. Let everything be done to edification. Build one another up. There is enough tearing down in the world and the church. Let's rise up, church, and build. Let's speak well. Let me tell you the good things about Jr. Let me tell you the good about Scotty. Amen. Let me tell you the good about Kitty. Right? Let me tell you the good about Pam. Right? And we, we could, I, could, I could pick you apart you could pick me apart. That's easy. Let's put some good words in our mouths about one another. Let's edify. Let's lift up. Let's encourage. Let's change our conversation. And, and, and this is so important when we're talking about kids. This is so important. Don't you dare get in the car and ride home talking to your wife in front of your kids about what you didn't like about church, about what you didn't like about worship, about what you didn't like about Pastor Chad's message, what you didn't like about so-and-so, and and -and so-and-so grates on your nerves, and who in the world does he think he is, and all that nasty attitude you are spewing. Thank you. You are polluting your children. Your words in front of your kids. I think that's why we're talking in the context in this passage about being examples. Don't be slanderers. That's right. Let words of life be coming out of your mouth. Amen? Yeah. We, we need to be building up. Right? Encouraging. And I, I want to, to encourage you. Go and take some time. Study this out. If you're an old man, go study that passage out about old men. If you're a, a, an old woman, go study that passage out about being an old woman and what your role is. If you're a young man, there's, there's instructions for you. If you're a young woman, there's instructions in this passage. Go and study that out. But here, here's the greater purpose: that God is calling us to be examples. Amen. That's that's what we we this world needs more than anything. This generation, more than anything, needs godly examples. I I believe this. I want to leave a heritage to my kids. I want to leave a legacy to my kids. And I I believe this is key right here. If I'm going to leave anything great to the generation that's coming after me, I've got to reach to the generation that went before me and pull the strength and the wisdom, the godly example that went before me. I've got to pull from that and get strength from that, get encouragement from that, get wisdom from that, and then impart that into the next generation. That's the way this thing, and and by the way, I'll say that there's a whole series of messages on this. Going back to June of last year, it's under the heading of the unbroken line. There's about five sermons, I think, on the unbroken line that I preached last year. You can go back, talking about raising kids, making disciples, how we pass things from one generation to the next generation. That's God's design, and that's God's intent, that the kingdom will be passed from generation to generation. I said at the very first message of this legacy series, that if we win the world and we we lose our own kids, we leave a church without a heritage. We've got to go draw from those who went before us and pass it on. Listen, get the smug idea that you don't need your elders out of your head. That somehow you you just, because you walked in the room, you have some kind of a monopoly on relationship with God and all of his wisdom. If If you have that mentality, you are... Excuse me for being crass. You are a fool. That's what the Bible calls you. If we have an idea that we don't need to learn from our elders, we are foolish according to the word of God. The wise loves instruction, but the fool rejects it. Correction. says the same thing, right? A wise person learns from those who've gone before. I love old people. My pastor put that in me when I was a young man, to love, honor, respect old men. My pastor taught me this. When you get into a a room with a seasoned pastor, don't get in there and talk about what you know. Shut your mouth and ask him questions. That's what my pastor taught me. I remember going going on TV programs, Christian television programming, with with these pastors, and I would be back in the green room with my Bible open, asking them questions and taking notes about what they were telling me. I want to learn I'm 47. I'm still trying to learn from the old guys. I want to be around old men. I want to learn from them. I want to glean from them because I want to be able to impart something. One of the joys of my life, Van Gill was one of my mentors in Bible college, my favorite Bible teacher of all time. He's gone on to be with the Lord. The last summer we lived in San Antonio, Texas, my my boys and I went over to Brother Van's house and mowed his yard the entire summer. We would go to his daughter's house, which is a couple blocks down, and mow her yard. And then we would come to his house and mow. This is in South Texas heat. And it would get hot, and my kids would be crying. They were little at that time, and they'd be pushing mowers and weed eaters and leaf blowers. By the time we got to Brother Van's house, they were wore out. So we'd start the yard, and this is how it would always go. Brother Van would come out of his house with ice cold Big Red and Dr. Pepper right out of the refrigerator. And immediately. My kids would shut their equipment down and leave me to finish the project. <laughs> and they went and sat with Brother Van. And when I would shut my mower off and go sit down and have a, a drink with him, when I was done, you know what Brother Van was doing? He, this, this 60, almost 70-year-old man was teaching my, I don't know, 12, however, however old they were, 12, 11, and 9, or however old they were at that point. He was teaching them what it meant to follow Jesus. One of the greatest joys of my life. My favorite mentor imparting into my little little kids. I love it. It's a beautiful picture of what I want to see happening in this church. The older generation being an example to the younger generation. I I am blessed that my my mom and dad took me to the house of the Lord every Sunday. one, One thing. My, my, and my dad was not a preacher. He, he was not a loud, outspoken guy that was always you know, scripture after scripture. And it, he, he lived a quiet, simple faith. On Sunday morning, I knew three things were gonna happen. My dad was gonna go to the grocery store. He was gonna bring home a newspaper. He was gonna bring home a, dox, a, a, a box of donuts, and he was gonna take us to church. It happened every single Sunday morning in the Hayes household. And I am blessed to have godly men and women, examples that exemplify what is in these passages about the younger or about the older men and the older women in that passage that we just read. L. C. Withersby, African-American gentleman, grew up in, in Centralia, Illinois, was in the military and retired in San Antonio, Texas. LC baptized, and in my home church, our, our home church, there would be 1,500 to 2,000 people every Sunday morning, and we would have the altars lined up, altar call, people getting saved, and we baptized people every single Sunday. We had two baptistries, and sometimes we'd get them both going because we had so many people, but, but LC was our chief baptizer. That man made a mark in my life. I watched him my entire childhood baptizing people. Just a steadfast example of godly lifestyle. Kindness, the love of God. He was sound in his faith, right? All these things that it talks about in this passage. Brother Elsie exemplified that. When my dad was on his deathbed, we were getting ready to take him from the hospital to the hospice in our in my mom's home. And, and Brother Elsie showed up. We were about to get my dad into an ambulance, and Brother Elsie showed up. My dad had had, had, had been um, incoherent for almost the full day at this point. And Brother Elsie shows up and guess what, my dad hears him and opens his eyes and looks up. Brother Elsie said to my dad, Jack, are you ready to go home? My dad nodded his head and a tear came down his cheek. And Brother Elsie said, Chad, I think we need to pray for your dad. I got on one side of the bed, and Brother Elsie got on the other side of the bed. I was holding one hand, and Brother Elsie was holding the other hand. And Brother Elsie began to pray over my dad, and strength came to my father's body. This man who had been ravaged by cancer was skin and bones, his entire internal organs eaten up by cancer. The strength of the Holy Ghost came into his body. And he squeezed my hand so hard it hurt, and he began to tremble under the power of the Holy Ghost, as i see. That's an example. That's an example. I can tell you story after story. Brother Walter and Anne, Sister Ann Kagi, who were elders in the church that I grew up in, he wore those Coke bottle military issue glasses that were so thick that his eyes looked like kitty cat saucer eyes. I remember he, like almost every Sunday, he wore this baby blue. You remember those 70s and 80s, those suits, the baby blue with the, the big collars and this big, fat navy blue tie? And I can remember Brother, Brother Kagi and Sister Ann, them getting up in front of our church. I can remember them admonishing our church. I can remember him teaching the word of God. I can remember the hugs that they would give, the sweetest hugs, this little old couple. They were in their 70s. I remember riding, my my mom and I, our family, we rode in Brother uh, Brother Keggy's car to to, to church camp, and I remember my mom's suitcase was on top of my aunt's van and it came unstrapped and hit the highway and all of her clothes flying everywhere on the way to church camp. But I remember being in Brother Keggy's car and he would pray. We were driving from San Antonio, Texas, to Lakey, Texas, to the, the camp, and he would be in his car praying with his eye, eyes closed. He was driving us down the highway, and he would close his. I was looking like, I, I look in the, and we were going right down the highway. Every turn, <laughs> God, the examples I could give. I could stand up here. I, I we could talk till midnight. I could tell you example after example of godly men and women, and the impact that that made on me. That's what I'm talking about. We need that kind of an example. We need it. I've been relaying a statement, I'm going to wrap up here, I've been relaying a statement that we as a church get about 40 hours a year to impact your child. I think I said 2,000 last week, but it's actually 3,000 hours the research shows 3,000 hours that a family has to impact a child on a yearly basis. The church has 40 hours. You have 3,000 hours, and you're going to blame the church because your kids are sour. No. The responsibility is on us, parents. The responsibility is on us. I, I, I've shared this before, but it, it is so good. It's worth it. If, if you don't get anything else today, write this down. There there are four times that every one of us have a a chance to influence our child. Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 7, it says, These words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them, teach them diligently to your children. Teach them diligently to your children. Now it gives us four ways that we we can do that. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. There's four opportunities right there for us as parents, grandparents even, to influence our kids. Number one is morning time, when you wake up. When you wake up with your kids, you're getting them ready for school, getting ready to start the day. How are you influencing those kids? Are you starting the day with prayer? Are you starting the day with a scripture? Listen, I'm, I'm telling you, like I said a minute ago, as I, every time I prepare these messages, I'm convicting, I'm not doing enough, I'm convicted, I'm not doing enough as a dad. And, and most of the time I feel like I'm doing all I can, but it's not enough. I need to step my game up. All of us. Are you, are you starting the day with prayer? Are you reading the word of God? Are you helping them in the morning to memorize scripture? I think it's important. Number two is travel time. When you walk by the way. When you walk by the way. Dialogue and interact with your kids in ways that will help them to apply what they're learning about Jesus in their walk with him. I I was was reading these notes this morning. I was deeply convicted. I had two hours in the car with my kids last night. And I tried to talk to them a little bit, but I really didn't try to engage them. Talked to them a little bit about the game, a little bit about this and that and the other. But there was two hours where I really should have just engaged my kids. Pass your phones up front. Focus on dad. Let's have a conversation, right? That drive time is when you can talk to your kids and help them. We we need this as parents. We need to help. It's it's not enough, like I said last week, to catechize our kids. We've got to disciple them. It's not enough for them just to learn Bible and spiritual principles. We've got to teach them how to apply that. I believe drive time is one of the best times that we can do that. You'll find out that, hey, there was a bully at school picking on him. How, how do we take God's word and apply it to that situation? It's a great opportunity to talk about turning the other cheek. It's a great opportunity for you to talk to them about forgiving those who, who um, do, do wrong to you. All the things that Jesus teaches, right? How do, how do we apply it? Drive time is a great time. Travel time is a great time to do that. Number three is dinner time. When you sit in your house... Let me encourage you, we we don't have enough dinner time at the Hayes House. Most of my appointments as a pastor with a volunteer crew is evening meetings. We don't have enough meals in my home, and we got to work on that. Lead conversations at the dinner table that will help to establish values that are consistent with the concepts that are taught in God's Word. Dinner time. Psalm, Psalm 128 says your children will be like olive trees around your dinner table. Takes 13 years. Do you know that? 13 years for an olive tree to produce fruit. Sounds like a teenager, doesn't it? It says your, your your children will be like olive trees around your table. I believe this. If you'll make an investment in your kids at dinner time, you know that there there are olive trees in the Garden of Gethsemane today that were there the day that Jesus was there and they're still producing fruit. Your children will be like all the plants around your table. Listen, if, if you will care for your, it, it takes a lot of care to take care of an olive plant. It requires a lot of nurture, a lot, a lot of pruning and care, a lot of making sure the soil is right, the water conditions, everything has to be right. It takes a lot of care to get those olives to begin to produce. But once they start to produce, they'll produce for generations. Listen, spend that time with your kids around the dinner table. And they, listen, holidays are coming up. You're going to have your grandkids sit them down, hear where they're at, hear their stories, and then begin to tell your stories. I encourage you, grandparents, take time to, to plot out. How, how will you communicate something about Jesus to your grandkids in the holidays? Not just come over and open the presents. All, that's all fun. That's all good. What are we going to do to communicate to our, our, our generations about Jesus? Number four, the last one is bedtime. When you lie down, when you lie down, at the end of the day, you think about this. How many kids in America go to bed in torment? Worried about their mom and dad and the divorce and the fights that they're having or the finances or the bully at school, and they, they go to bed in torment. Think about it. as parents. If we, if, what, what a gift we can give to our kids every single night. If we tuck them in, we comfort them. And, and listen, you, you, when, when your kids are tired at night, that's when they're going to open up to you. You hear this all the time, like with these, these kids that go in and shoot places up and all that. I had no idea that that was in their heart. I guarantee you that's not a parent that's tucking their kid in bed at night. Your kids, when they're tired and vulnerable, they will open up and all that mush and all that hurt and all that whatever they're feeling, rejection and pain and whatever it is that's in them, when they're tired, it's gonna come out. You can talk to them and you can comfort them. Son, I'm sorry that so-and-so hurt you. I'm sorry you've been through that experience. That's tough. I went through a similar experience when I was your age. Let's pray about it. Tuck them in, settle them in peace. I don't know about you, but most oftentimes I, I wake up the way that I went to sleep. If I've got financial stuff on my mind or a problem, church problem, whatever it is, when I, when I go to sleep, thinking about that, it's usually how I wake up. If we can hem our kids in, tuck them into bed with peace, think about how they're going to wake up. They're not going to wake up worried about having to go face that big bully at school. They're not going to wake up worried about the you know, the, the president and the economy and all the things that they're pressure on sexual identity. All these things kids are facing today. We can give them assurance. We have these opportunities. Again, the church has 40, 40 hours a year to influence your child on average. You've got 3,000. What are you going to do with it? Be an example. Be an example. Listen, that, that's my admonishment. That's my challenge. I, I hope that I stirred you. I hope that we as a church will take this to heart. Listen, I, I, again, I want I'm, goal, 100% participation for us as a church with our kids' ministry. I, I want to see everybody that's a part of this church involved some way. Maybe it's remodeling. Maybe it's, it's giving money to it. Maybe it's helping to run one of the outreaches. Maybe uh, running a check-in station when the kids show up on Sunday morning. Maybe being a teacher's aide. Maybe preparing snacks. Maybe de- decorating the classrooms. Can we all commit an hour a week? Nope, too busy. Got to binge flick, uh, Netflix. <laughs> Pastor, there's three football games on today. I got to watch them all, right? Really, I mean, can we all commit something? Doesn't it matter? <laughs> to me, it does. Let's stand together. Let's stand together. you are challenged let me, let me just challenge you if you're ready to make a commitment for your own kids, for your grandkids for the kids that return just put your hands up Father in the name of Jesus I thank you for the people that have return. I thank you for this church I thank you for our young people our children, our grandchildren. Father, we we take very serious the responsibility to disciple, to nurture, to train, to build our kids. Father, I pray that you would help us. Help us as parents. It comes back to seeking. Lord, let let our seeking be right. May we seek you first in all that we do. May we put your kingdom first. Lord, help us. Help us in our failings. Help us in our shortcomings. Lord, when we sin, may we be quick to rise and repent. When we fail, may we be quick to strive and go forward. Help us by the power of your Spirit. It is a daunting task to raise kids. Lord, I thank you for your strength. I thank you for your help. I thank you that we're not alone. I thank you for your grace. There is grace that will sustain us in every trial, in every situation that we're going to face, in every challenge. We thank you for it. Lord, I thank you for mercy. Where we've messed it up, Lord God, you're merciful. Some of us have grown kids that are gone astray. And a lot of us are carrying guilt. Father, I pray that you would roll that off of us. Roll it off in Jesus' name. You are a God of second chances. You'll give us another chance with our adult kids. You're going to give us another chance with our grandkids. Well, we pray for our children right now. Strengthen their lives. May they know your grace. May they know your mercy. May they know your salvation. May they know your favor all the days of their lives. Father, I pray that you would be with us as a church. I'd I, I lift up Perla and the team and everybody who serves back there. Lord, I thank you for what you're building. I thank you for what you're doing. Lord, help us. Help us to reach families, to come alongside, connect us to families that are in need. We thank you. We bless you. And we honor you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let me let me say this, and I'm going to dismiss you. If, if you know of families that need help this holiday season, let us know. Um, Stephanie White, let us know about a family. I just heard about it uh, Friday, so I don't have all the details, but we'll get them to you. We're going to come alongside a few families this holiday season. And um, listen, I know some of you all support other organizations, and that's great. That's great. But if some of you all want to prepare, we'll have more details next week of how we can help a few families. We love you very, very much. Amen. God bless you. I'm going to dismiss you. If you need prayer, if you're not saved, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I want to ask you to come down. I'd love to meet with you and talk to you about what that means to follow Christ. If you have any need, financial, relational, whatever it might be, any kind of challenge you're going through, come down. I would love to meet you here and pray with you. Amen. God bless you. You all have a great week.